And do turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. That's where we're going to spend the next bit of time together. Let me pray as we have a look at that now. Our loving and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this evening for the gospel. We thank you for the good news of the Saviour, Jesus Christ, who has died and risen to life, the one who has defeated death and brought life and immortality to light. Father, we thank you for that good news, and we pray that you would help us to see more of its beauty this evening and understand its implications for each one of us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, like Mike has already said, this evening we're beginning a new series looking at this uh, letter to Timothy, uh, Paul's second letter uh, to Timothy. Uh, But before we get get stuck into chapter one together this evening, I just want you to to think about a question. Uh, That is, how do you tend to feel about the state of the gospel in the UK? Uh, When you you turn on your TV or or you read your Twitter feed, uh, how do you feel? I think, think a little bit closer to home. How do you feel about the state of the gospel in the area that you live? On your street? In your community? At the office? At work? In the classroom? At school? When you think about the, the state of Christianity or, or the gospel, this, this message about Jesus in the places where you live and work, how do you feel? If social media and, and the press is to be believed, then, well, then frankly the situation is pretty bleak, isn't it? Secularism is, is on the rise, the church uh, continues to shrink, and so what you're doing here this evening is frankly a bit weird. It's seen as outdated, as irrelevant, and increasingly just pretty offensive to people out there. Uh, it's not just what we see on our screens, is it? Uh, for many of us, it's what we experience in our day-to-day lives. Maybe, maybe you're the only Christian uh, in your class or, or your company. Uh, maybe you're the only one at the school gate or, or in the sports club. And so more often as a Christian, you, you just feel isolated, alone, discouraged, concerned even. Uh, you can feel like... You're in the minority, you're perhaps even on the losing side. Sometimes you wonder whether just the light of the gospel in this country will go out completely. I know it's all a bit of a a gloom and doom way to to begin a series, but but the reason I want to think about that question and think through those things is, is actually that is the sort of situation that Timothy finds himself in as we come to this letter. Timothy was the leader of the church in a place called Ephesus. And back in in Timothy's day, at least for part of it, um, Ephesus was this this thriving city. It was big and bustling. It was was rich and diverse, not unlike London today. And not only was the city thriving, so was the gospel. Ephesus was in the region of Ephesus. Asia, that sort of modern-day Turkey. And it was in Asia that, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, did uh, most, so, so much of his most successful missionary journeys. You can read about them in Acts 19 and 20. The gospel was spreading in the region. And right at the heart of it was this place, Ephesus. 
It was there that Paul spent three or so years preaching the gospel and establishing new churches. And so it sort of become the, the hub, the, the strategic center for his missionary activity in the area. The gospel was thriving in Asia, and Ephesus was right at the heart of it. But then things began to change. Then Paul was arrested again and, and thrown into a Roman prison. And as he sat, waiting for what would likely be his death, things started to fall apart. Look at what he says to Timothy as he writes to him in chapter 1, verse 15. He says, look, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. In the space of just a, a few years, Asia has gone from gospel advance to gospel crisis. All in Asia have deserted me, says Paul. And he's not talking about just some sort of personality clash there. No, they've deserted him. They've deserted the apostle, Paul. In other words, abandoning Paul means abandoning the gospel. Deserting God's messenger means deserting God's message. They've abandoned me, says Paul. All have turned away. All have deserted me. And so they have deserted the gospel. It's a dire situation. It's the situation that provides the context for this letter. And so as we begin this series, I wonder, I hope you can, you can begin to feel the pressure for Timothy. Paul, his, his mentor, his father in the faith, is in a Roman prison waiting for death. Opposition is increasing outside and, as we're going to see, inside the church. And so as the, the heat is turned up, as the, the pressure piles on, the temptation for Timothy is to do what everyone else is doing, to desert Paul to distance himself from this apparently disgraced apostle and to abandon the gospel that he proclaims. In other words, Paul knows as he writes this that Timothy faces this, this very real, very serious choice. And so he writes this letter to him, his last letter, probably his last letter to his last man standing. And his big question to Timothy is this. Will you guard the gospel, Timothy? Will you guard it? You can see that question, more of a, a command there in verse 13, one of the, the key verses in, our, in the whole letter. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Guard the gospel, Timothy. Guard it even, as we'll see, when it causes you to suffer. Guard it when it makes you look weak. Guard it when it, it causes the world to hate you. Guard it when your church doesn't want to hear it anymore. Timothy, will you guard the gospel, says Paul. That is a question for Timothy, and it's also a question that we need to think about. Whatever we might feel about the, the state of the gospel today, whatever we might think about the state of the church in our community or our country, the truth is that 
that the gospel is only ever one generation from extinction, isn't it? Whether we feel it or not, whether we like it or not, it only takes one generation for the gospel to be lost. Just one generation for the gospel to be assumed rather than proclaimed, forgotten rather than remembered, covered up rather than lived out. And so whilst we might not be a a church leader like Timothy, whilst our situation is very different, Paul's question remains the same. As the pressure of our society increases, as the, the heat of opposition is turned up, will he guard the gospel? Will he guard it? Or will he give up on it? That's the big question that we're going to be thinking about over uh, the next few weeks. And we're going to begin this evening by seeing three big things, three three themes that are going to come up again and again in this letter. And my hope is that as we kind of briefly look at these big themes this evening, uh, they'll help us to understand a bit of what it means to guard the gospel in our generation. And then we'll dig into the detail of each of them as we go through the letter. So the first thing that we see in our passage is that guarding the gospel means passing it on to others. Guarding it means passing it on. And straight away, that that might sound a bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? Guarding something tends to mean keeping it locked away, keeping it safe behind closed doors. Um, Take rabbit here. Uh, as an example, a few of you uh, saw Rabbit on my seat, and I could tell you wanted to ask why I have a toy rabbit with me uh, this evening. Rabbit belongs uh, to my wife, Catherine, and, and for much of, of Catherine's childhood and a little bit too much of her adulthood, <laughs> Rabbit was her treasured possession. Catherine kept Rabbit safe for 30 years. And so the last thing that she would want me to do with Rabbit this evening would be to start just sharing him around. The last thing that she would want me to do with Rabbit would be to to lend him out to just anyone and everyone that I meet. That's because guarding something important tends to mean keeping it away from other people. But that isn't the case with the gospel. When it comes to the gospel, Paul says you guard it by giving it away. Look at verse 3. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul begins by giving thanks to God for Timothy's sincere or genuine faith in Christ. And you see specifically that it's a faith that has been passed on to him from one generation to the next. From his grandma Lois to his mom Eunice and now to him, the gospel has been faithfully handed on from generation to generation. And it's not just his biological family that has been faithful in passing on the gospel, is it? Paul calls Timothy his dear son in verse 2. He he constantly prays for him in verse 3. He's full of this deep affection for him in verse 4. In other words, Paul has become a sort of spiritual father to Timothy. Lovingly, prayerfully, 
passing on the gospel to him. And it's this that, that Paul wants to remind Timothy of as he begins this letter. Before looking forward to what Timothy must do, he looks back. He reminds Timothy of how the gospel has come to him, how it's been passed on to him. And so he says in verse 6, For this reason, because of all of this, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God. Paul doesn't say exactly what this gift of God is here, but in his previous letter in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we see it's the gift of preaching and teaching the gospel. In other words, Paul is saying here, look, Timothy, I know the gospel's been passed on to you. And I know that you've been gifted by God to pass it on, to proclaim it to others. So get on with it. Timothy, keep doing the job you've been called to do. Don't neglect your gift. Fan it into flame. Don't give up on the gospel. Pass it on. Now, like I say, we're going to see a whole lot more of what, what that involves for Timothy specifically in the coming weeks. But we just want to pause here for a minute and think about how this might apply to us. Because Paul's big point here in chapter 1 is that that you guard the gospel by giving it away. You protect it by passing it on. Which means a big question for us this evening is who are you giving the gospel to? Maybe you're a parent or a grandparent here this evening. If you are, then I'm sure there'll be all sorts of things you can think of that you want to pass on to your children or your grandchildren. Maybe it's your love of football. Maybe it's your favorite films. Maybe it's a, a family tradition. There'll be all sorts of things that we want to pass on to the next generation, to our children and our grandchildren. But the question here is, are you passing on the gospel? Are you, are you taking the time to deliberately, prayerfully pass on the good news about Jesus to your children? Because there is nothing more precious, nothing more important than that. And it's not just for parents, is it? We've already seen how Paul was prayerfully proactive in passing on the gospel to people like Timothy. And so if you're a member of King's Church, Chessington, then the same question applies to you. Who could you pass the gospel on to? Who could you prayerfully, intentionally share Jesus with? Who could you encourage and, and teach from the scriptures? Who could you model the Christian life to? Last Sunday morning, eight young people were baptised here at King's Church. And if you spoke to most of their parents and to those who were involved in the youth and children's work, they would tell you there is no greater joy than being used by God to pass on the gospel to the next generation. Paul says you guard the gospel by giving it away. You protect it by passing it on. That was true for Timothy, and it remains true for us. But then that leads to another question. That is, why does Paul need to say this to Timothy in the first place? You see, when we stop and think about it, Paul's instruction to keep preaching the gospel, to, to not forget or not neglect passing it on, it's actually a little bit strange. 
It is strange when we remember who Timothy is. Timothy is Paul's right-hand man, his top guy. Lots of commentators talk about uh, timid Timothy. You might have come across that as though he's some sort of shy, wimpy guy that just needs a lot of hand-holding. I'm not convinced that's the case. At the time this letter is written, Timothy has spent around 15 years on missionary journeys with Paul. He has been preaching the gospel all around Asia. Paul sends Timothy to deal with some of his most difficult church cases. He says in one of his letters that he has no one like Timothy. I'm not sure this is timid Timothy, more like top man Timothy. But now here he's writing to Timothy and saying, don't stop preaching. Don't, don't stop passing on the gospel. Timothy, don't give up. Keep going. So, so what's going on? Why, why does Timothy, of all people, need to be reminded to keep passing on the gospel? Well, we see the reason in verse 7 to 12. The reason Timothy needs to be told to keep going is secondly because guarding the gospel means suffering. Look at verse 7. For the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel. Paul knows from personal experience that preaching the gospel brings suffering. He's writing from a prison cell because of the gospel. And so he knows that, that, well, that suffering is going to be a reason, a big reason, why Timothy might be tempted to, to give up, to, to neglect his gift. Tempted, verse 8, to be ashamed of the gospel and ashamed of Paul, its messenger. Suffering for the gospel is the issue, but, but what is it about the gospel that causes such a problem? Why is it so offensive to people? Look at verse 9. Paul says, He, that's God, has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Paul says, in the gospel, in this good news about Christ, God calls us to a holy life. And the call to holiness, as I'm sure many of us are aware, is offensive. To say that you believe in a God who calls people to a certain way of life is seen today as at best backward and at worst oppressive. The obvious example in our culture today is the area of sex and relationships, isn't it? If you choose to follow what the Bible says rather than what society celebrates, you're pretty likely to suffer for it. Holiness, seeking to live God's way, is increasingly seen as offensive in society. And so standing for a gospel that includes the call to holiness will cause you to suffer. Then Paul also says in verse 9 that that this salvation is not because of anything that we have done, but is given to us. It is a gift of grace, undeserved. 
And again, as Christians, what we might think of that as this, this wonderful truth, the, the gospel of grace, it is offensive to so many people. Again, because we live in a culture that insists that, that we earn everything. We're ranked and judged every single day depending on our performance. We compare ourselves to others all of the time. And so when one well-meaning Christian comes along and tells you that even your best performance is not good enough, that you can never really be good enough for God, you can't earn his favor, you can't earn salvation from him, but it is a gift freely given, undeserved. Well, people sometimes get offended by that. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced this, but, but often uh, someone's response to grace can be something like, how dare you? How dare you suggest that I'm not good enough? How dare you say that I can't make it on my own? I don't need help. And I don't need God. The gospel of grace, the gospel of holiness is offensive. That's why Paul says in verse 11, of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Paul spells out, look, that, that suffering is a direct consequence of the gospel, of the message that he proclaims. And he says, look, if you, Timothy, are going to hold to that message, if you're going to proclaim and pass on that message, you're going to face the same response. And so Timothy has a choice. To be ashamed of Paul and of the gospel he proclaims. Or to join with Paul in passing on that gospel and so suffer as a result. And again, we face the same choice, don't we? We're going to think much more about suffering for the gospel and what that means in the weeks to come. But now we just need to see that there is a choice. Paul says we can either be ashamed of the gospel and distance ourselves from those who preach it. Or we can guard the gospel. And accept the suffering that it brings. For us that might be the difference between standing with another Christian in our school or in our workplace. Or simply pretending we don't know them. It might be the difference between defending our church leaders or distancing ourselves from them. Guarding the gospel means passing it on to others. And it means persevering in suffering. Which is why, finally, Paul says it means trusting in God's promises. Like I say, Paul is going to talk a lot more about what it means to suffer for the gospel in this letter. Which is why I think again and again he reminds Timothy of God's promises. He reminds him of the promise that whatever happens to Timothy in this life, he can be sure, he can be certain that his future is secure. Just look back at how he opens the letter in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And then look down at verse 10. Just after telling Timothy to join with him in suffering for the gospel, Paul reminds him that, that God's grace has been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light 
through the gospel. As we were so wonderfully reminded of this morning, if we know Christ, says Paul, then we don't need to fear. But instead we can have complete confidence, not in ourselves, but in the one who has destroyed death. The one who has brought immortality and life. And then look at verse 12. Verse 12 where Paul says, I'm suffering for the gospel, Timothy, yet this is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I've believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What is it that that Paul has entrusted to Christ? I think it's his own life. He says, look, Timothy, I'm I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to suffer for the gospel because I know Christ. And I know that in him, my life is secure. I know that no matter what I face, no matter how hard or painful the suffering is, no matter how many people abandon me, Christ will never abandon me. He will never leave me. He will guard what I have entrusted to him until the last day. Do you see? Paul knows his eternal future is secure. It is certain in Christ. And that means that that he and Timothy, they can keep going. They can keep guarding the gospel no matter what comes their way. And so can we. I notice just as we close that we don't do that in our own strength. Verse 14 again. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. God has given us his spirit who, verse 7, doesn't make us timid or cowardly, but he gives us power. His spirit who strengthens and equips us for this task of guarding the gospel. In other words, Paul says to Timothy, look, you're not alone. You're not alone. Christ is with you by his spirit, and that means you can keep going. You can keep guarding the gospel despite the suffering that it brings. Guarding the gospel means passing it on to others. It means persevering in suffering, and it means trusting in the promise and the power of God. We're going to see lots more of what all of that means for us in the weeks to come. But now let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus Christ, the one who died and has risen to defeat death. Father, thank you that we have received this gospel. We thank you now for those that have passed it on to us. And we pray that you would help us by the power of your spirit to have the courage and the conviction to pass it on to others. Father, please help us to guard your gospel in this way with our confidence firmly in you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.